What a joy to be with you uh, today, and uh, so many things, so many things in my heart uh, that that I would want to say. I'm going to try to limit them to just a few, but uh, just how what you just communicated. I'm just freshly affected by the the tangibility, the reality, the meaningfulness of our partnership uh, together, and, and and it comes to me in different ways. Uh, some of your teens. I just have the privilege of seeing in late August as we partnered up with Riverside Church for a, a sort of a mini youth camp uh, together. Uh, this coming summer, uh, we're, we're going to return to Gainesville, Florida for Alive 2014 for the whole region-wide uh, youth camp that uh, so many of your children participated in. Some of you as parents were there as well. Uh, in fact, I'm going to hang a little bit with David and Melinda after the service as, as David has agreed to take up a, a key part of helping us uh, formulate uh, the fun stuff. So uh, Palm Vista young people, wherever you are, um, if you hated any of the games we did, David's who you want to tell. Uh, you can totally control and manipulate what we do uh, <laughs> at this year's Alive. So I'm just grateful for expressions like that. Uh, I'll just mention Johnny and Jorge and Oscar. I'm going to have the privilege, along with another Sovereign Grace pastor, to go there, uh, I think, less than two weeks. I I believe two weeks from today. Uh, uh, Lord willing, uh, we'll be there in La Paz uh, together uh, because of partnership. And and in a very particular way, I want to thank you uh, for your partnership uh, that's really been experienced at Metro Life Church. I I know many of you are newer, so I'll be brief. But Metro Life Church is, is doing well by the grace of God. Uh, there are several new converts in the church. We had a service not that long ago where five people received Jesus Christ as Lord in that service. Five what appears to be genuine conversions uh, through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, this uh, last new members class we've had uh, where we are welcoming those individuals next Sunday... Uh, there are 24 adults. Half of them are Latin American uh, coming in, and, and it, it seems like the, uh, particularly the Puerto Rican population of Orlando is starting to move north, not, not just in South Orlando, and they're finding their way uh, to Metro Life Church. And, and uh, particularly in a, in a very personal way, uh, I was on the interim board of Sovereign Grace Ministries in 2011, part of 2012, and you might say that Al took my place on, on the board that then got into place. And, and I think this past week at our pastor's conference, we really experienced the fruit of the board's labors and, and really a sense of, of God's grace and presence and refreshing the Spirit's activity in our midst. And uh, a lot of what shaped that conference was taking place behind the scenes uh, through men who were serving, like Al, and more personally, because I wasn't giving the time to that, to the board, I was able to give it more locally to Metro. And so you, in your giving out to serve on the board, affects churches. It affected Metro Life Church in a very specific way. And I know that came at a cost. Uh, and I just want to say thank you. On behalf of Metro Life Church, thank you for giving the time you gave for Al to serve in that role. I think he's happy to 
pass that baton on to others now. I'm quite certain of that, and I'm happy for that. And I was enjoying the fruits of that. I just leaned over to Desi. I'm sorry you didn't hear what your husband was saying because I was talking to her at the time. But I was just appreciating his pastoral care for you. He was pastoring uh, Palm Vista during worship as he's listening attentively. Lord, what are you saying? And just coming and encouraging. And so I just thank God for you, my friend and brother. And so I'm so glad you're done with that piece of service. I know you embraced it, but that you can give more of your time uh, right here to Palm Vista. So, so thank you on behalf of Metro Life Church. Thank you, Palm Vista. Would you please turn in your Bibles to First Peter chapter 2. As you continue on, and I get the privilege of joining with you this morning in your series on Jonah, so how fitting to go to First Peter. Uh, that's primarily not to interrupt your flow in that series, but I, I trust you're going to find continuity this morning between your series in Jonah and what Peter has to say here to the scattered church that he was addressing. Uh, Jonah is, as you know, it's a fascinating book. What an interesting man was Jonah. And I know you're hearing me say Jonah. We are going to First Peter. I just want you to see the continuity. Jonah's fascinating. I remember when we preached through that, we, we entitled the series Jonah, the Gospel of Compassion. But perhaps, like me, you've discovered as you're studying the book of Jonah, maybe we're more like him than we are different from him. You know what I mean? I mean, yes, he was an Old Testament prophet. We're not like him in that. But in terms of his heart for the Ninevites, or rather, lack of heart for the Ninevites, maybe we're more like him than we are different from him. You see, God made a claim on Jonah. He was to be the herald of God, the voice of God to a people in great need. And, and, and we get that gospel glimpse of he's going to the Ninevites, not, not to one of the tribes of Israel. He's going to a Gentile people. They were in great need, but Jonah didn't want to go. I know you know the story. He didn't like Nineveh, and he didn't like the Ninevites. Remember that, Miami Hurricanes fans, this morning. He was fine. Jonah was fine to leave them alone. You see, I don't have to look beyond my own heart to see the continuity between Jonah and myself. Because there are places I'd rather not go. There are people I'd rather not share with. That could be the exact places and the exact people to whom God wants me to go. Or wants you to go. Now we're in a series at Metro Life uh, called Build. Build the local church. And we just spent time recently in this passage of scripture to see the call we have to take the love of God we have been given out, if you will, into the Ninevehs and Ninevites of our world. And we saw in 1 Peter how ours is the privilege of both telling and showing the world, the love of God, the love of Jesus Christ, and that through that telling and showing that many would be saved. So it seems fitting as you're in your series on Jonah that we would take a little diversion here in 1 Peter. Would you read 1 Peter 2, 9 through 12 with me, and then let's pray together. But you are a chosen race. We sang about this this morning a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, 
that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people. See, we were Ninevites too at one time, weren't we? But now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved. Love Peter's pastoral tender heart. Beloved. I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. If I were seeking to summarize This passage, particularly as it relates to your series on Jonah, I would offer you this. This is true for Metro Life Church. I believe this is true for Palm Vista as well. The church's mission is to proclaim and show the excellencies of Jesus. The church's mission, Palm Vista, your mission here in Miami Lakes and the surrounding community, the city itself, is to proclaim and show the excellencies of Jesus. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, this morning, not one person in this room needs to hear my voice. But we all need to hear your voice. And so, would you take this foolish act of preaching, of taking a human vessel to dare proclaim your word, And would you, with your spirit, draw near and minister to us. This is the living word of God. Lord, we believe you. Even as the young adults go to talk about the Bible later today. Lord, unlike any other book in the world, this one in our hands, and more importantly in our hearts, is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword to pierce, to comfort, to transform. And so we pray, Spirit of God, illuminate Your Word. Would it be alive in every heart here this morning? Maybe in some hearts for the very first time. We pray in faith, with expectancy, together. For the glory of Your name, Jesus. Amen. How do you, how do I in Castleberry, Orlando, if you don't know the town of Castleberry, how do we reach people with the good news of Jesus Christ? I believe Peter offers us two simple yet absolutely necessary ways we do that. How do we reach people with the good news of Jesus Christ? First, we proclaim His excellencies. We proclaim His excellencies. Look, look back with me at this passage. First, consider who He reminds us of who we are. We are, as Christians, a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for His own possession. I love that because it means that although I do life about 220 some odd miles north of here, and you do life Here, I do it there. We're together. We're a people together. We're a family together. A chosen race. A people for His own possession. A royal priesthood. Every single one of us, priests in the kingdom 
of God. But we're all those things and more for a purpose, and it's right there, that we may what? That we may proclaim. Proclaim what? The excellencies of Him who called us out of darkness into marvelous light. I remember that night, and literally it was night for me. It may not have been for you. I remember the parking lot in New Holland, Pennsylvania in October of 1989 where I was called out of darkness. I was literally, literally in the act of burglary. When he called me out of darkness and into his marvelous light. I don't have anything to do with the finances of Metro Life Church. You'd be happy to hear that. My whole life was darkness. But he called me out. Do you remember when you were called out? And I don't mean do you remember the exact date and time, but just do you remember? Remember what it was like to go from darkness to light. Do you remember the joy of that? Oh, I remember the joy of that. I remember going home and asking my mom for a Bible. She had a very puzzled look on her face. Not a question she'd ever heard from her 16-year-old before. And she found this big, hulking King James Version Bible. And I opened it to the only place it made sense, which was Genesis 1. And began reading and stayed up all night, was deep in the Leviticus when I had to go to school. Took it to school, my public high school, plopped it out in class. Unaware of anything or anyone other than this marvelous light. I didn't even know it was marvelous light at that point, I didn't know anything. I didn't know you are supposed to be afraid to have your Bible out in public. That didn't come till later. I didn't know you were supposed to be afraid to tell people about Jesus. That didn't come till later. I remember going to Mr. Murphy. I had a class called Independent Reading, which was code for a glorified study hall, but nevertheless, I had it. And all you had to do was make a contract with Mr. Murphy. Here's the deal. Here's what you're going to read. So I was, I don't know, page 300 or something in Pet Cemetery by Stephen King. When I asked him if I could redo my contract, he said, well, what do you want to read? And I slapped down that big Hulk in King James Bible. <laughs> So I want to read this. Well, how much of it? All of it. By when? By the end of the year. The end of the school year. He just looked puzzled and said, okay. I think it was more to him that he didn't think I could accomplish this. But something had happened. This is what had happened. Now, I wasn't in 1 Peter that morning. I was in Leviticus. But here in 1 Peter, chosen race royal priesthood, holy nation, a people for his own possession, and we get to go tell others, tell the world, our world, what that's like. You see, when God saved us all our sins through Jesus Christ, it's more than forgiving our sins. He gave us new hearts. He gave us his Holy Spirit. He set us free from the dominion of sin. He assured our hearts of eternal life to come, but he also gave us a commission, didn't he? A calling. And this isn't a calling of pastors alone or evangelists. It's the calling of every single Christian to proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. This is a corporate reality. Do you see the corporate language Peter's using here? A chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. I don't want to make this sermon longer than it needs to be, but I'm burdened for Christians in the church today with this singular focus 
on our relationship, this sort of Jesus and me approach. And, and praise God, we do have intimacy with God through Jesus Christ. I have an individual relationship with God the Father, but He saved me and He joined me to a people, to the church of the living God. I'm not a solo, lone ranger Christian. Together, we proclaim His excellencies. We've got a corporate identity. And we should not be satisfied. As you see these seats this morning that are not yet occupied, that should move our hearts. Wait a minute. There's more people to be called out of darkness and into His marvelous light. You see, as Tim Chester, Steve Timmons, they wrote a book called Everyday Churches. They said, God is carving out one place on the earth where the goodness and freedom of His kingdom can be seen. That's the church. That place is the local church. Peter is writing to a congregation. They knew that their lives were joined together. God redeemed them and made them a people. And throughout the New Testament, we see that we, when we receive the gift of salvation, we, we go from being scattered individuals to becoming members of the body of Christ. Now, I thought I belonged to a people prior to my conversion. I had my friends. I had the guys I hung out with, whatever. It took all of about three weeks of being a Christian to realize I had no community with them. And I don't mean because I, I pulled myself out of them. This is, this is when it happened. One morning, I don't know which periods we were between. There I am, Hulk and King James Version. I don't know what part of the Old Testament yet. And, and, and someone who I thought we, we would run life together. He calls out to me. Man, this could be vulnerable, but I'm, I'm going to tell you anyways because we're family. He called out Guppy. Now, i got to tell you, my older brother was nicknamed Fish because I was his younger brother. I was Guppy. So there you have it. So he calls out. He calls out down the hall. I hear you're a Christian. Yes. And he just laughs, walks away. And to this day, I don't think I've had a conversation with him since. Now, part of that is I live 1,500 miles away from him now. But he avoided me. I did write him a note at graduation. But I realized, what, what did we have in common? We had sin. That's what we had. And the moment I was called out of that life, wow, is it so clear how empty it was, alone it was. And now God had called me to be with a people. We see that, God taking individuals and joining them into His family, but with a mission. You've got a mission. I believe your mission statement is connecting people to God, one another, and neighbor through Jesus Christ. We've got a mission statement as well at Metro. And, and all those ours is worded a little different than yours. They both get at the same thing. We've been called out of darkness into light. We've become a people, but we're not an insular people. We're not to be an introverted people. We're not to be a close up the doors. No one's allowed in here people. Just the opposite. We're a people called together to then go out there and proclaim Jesus. And, and every one of us is needed. Every single one of us. Because although conversion, we might say it's the same story in one sense, it's, it's also just like our DNA, just like our fingerprints, every single story is individual. 
And, and how do you not know that you're going to be the one that God wants to use to share with someone? I remember uh, in sharing my testimony in fuller detail at Metro Life Church, there was a visitor there. Had not met him before the service. And, and, and in the midst of that, I, I, I referenced some things in my past. I, I, I referenced that I, I had not only puffed, but I had inhaled marijuana, you know. And, uh, and, and through sharing that, something as absolutely bizarre as a pastor, like, I don't know if I can say that. Am I allowed to say that publicly? Uh, well, I already said it publicly. I, that's, my, that's my biggest pastoral problem. It's after I say things, it occurs to me to ask if I should have said it. But that's a separate sermon in itself. Well, I did say it as part of my conversion story. And there was that guy, 31 years of almost daily use of marijuana, trapped, enslaved, and he wanted to come in to talk. I said, I'm just curious, what, what brought you in? When you shared that, he said, I felt like there's someone who might understand, who might listen. Now, <laughs> we had some fun together. I said, brother, I, I trust you. you I, I'm not still doing that. I just wanted you to know that. You know? But, and, uh, so we're, we're having fun together. But, but here's the point. There, there was something in my story. It's not better, it's not worse than anybody else's, but something in, in the uniqueness of what was my life when God called me out of darkness and into his marvelous lights that ministered. How do you not know? How God wants to use your story. Can't just be Al or this one or that one. No. That's all part of the the tapestry God uses. Together we share this call. I, I, I I hope you're getting a vision for this. It's not we have to tell our conversion stories. It's we get to tell our conversion stories. See, Peter's, he's referencing, uh, Al read out of Isaiah 40 this morning, uh, he's referencing Isaiah 43, 20 and 21 when he talks about this, this uh, calling us out of darkness into his marvelous light that we could de- declare his excellencies. He's referencing Isaiah 43, 20 and 21 where God says through Isaiah, I give water in the wilderness, rivers in the desert to give drink to my chosen people the people who I formed for myself, that they might declare my praise. Now, yes, declaring his praise includes singing together in church on Sunday morning. But that's not ultimately what he's not talking about worship songs. He's talking about telling the world about the greatness of God, telling the world about his excellencies. Here's what I'm learning in my own life. Enthusiasm for mission or evangelism doesn't begin with mission or evangelism. It begins with loving God because we're loved by God. It begins by meditating on what in the world is this great salvation anyway. It's loving Jesus so much we want to tell others about him. So I don't, I don't think what I need to be, to be a, a better Jonah or whatever. I don't need three steps to sharing my faith. That's not the most pressing need. Those things can be helpful. Rather, what I need is to dwell on this reality to have my affections for Jesus so stoked up and my love for him strengthening that I'm excited, enthusiastic, passionate, and grateful for the privilege, not the duty, the privilege of proclaiming him to this dying, decay-infested world as I meditate on his excellencies each day to be captured by that. I was just 
in the hotel room this morning, just worshiping to a Hillsong song. I don't even remember if this is the name of it, but one of the lines is, Jesus, we're living to make your name high. God, that's what I want to live for. To make your name high. Yeah, I think about uh, that woman at the well. The Samaritan woman at the well. Once she tasted the love of Jesus Christ, what was her first response? To do what? She went into the village and, and she just wanted to get as many people as she could. Come, come see a man who told everything about me. It's just kind of funny. He hadn't told her everything. He just sort of went down her relational network. But she was so affected by that, so moved by his love. She couldn't help but call people to come here. That's why at Metro, the first part of our mission statement is loving God. Loved by God, we can now love God. More than, more than here's three steps to become more effective evangelists, it's meditating on the love of God. We're called to this corporately, but it happens in individual, ordinary settings. Peter is writing to the church not to instruct them how to do... Uh, outreach, if you will, when they were gathered on Sunday mornings. He was, he was envisioning them for what everyday life was going to look like as they were scattered about. See, very little of our proclaiming Jesus does or can take place in our Sunday gatherings. Some of that happens, yes, through the preach word, etc. But, but the average dark heart out there isn't thinking as they drive whatever this road is out here, they're not thinking as they see the Palm Vista sign, I think that's where I'm going to go spend a couple hours. Right? Have you noticed that? They may be thinking I'm playing soccer. They may be thinking I'm grabbing a Cuban coffee. They're thinking all kinds of things. But the natural thought is not, I think I need to find a church this morning. Oh, if that were the case, well, we wouldn't need this sermon. But on Monday and Wednesday and Friday night and Saturday morning in our workplace, in our neighborhood, at the store, that, that person we see again and again and again. That's where this is at. My uh, son just finished up his soccer season, and one of the fields they played at is a place called St. Luke's uh, in uh, Oviedo, Florida, suburb of Orlando. As you leave the property, there are these signs, and I love these signs, and they just say this, you are about to enter the mission field. I love that. That idea that the mission field isn't here on the church property, it's out there. And what I love about that is it's not pointing to any one spot. It's wherever we are. It's wherever God's people are. That's the mission field. We're talking about this a lot at Metro Life Church. We're, we're not interested in merely building events or a Sunday service. What we want to build is a church that is deployed. We're over the long haul. We're building a community of radical and authentic followers of Jesus Christ who love Him, who love their Father so much they want to proclaim His excellencies to the mission field out there. Churches, George Huntsberger says, are called to be bodies of people sent on mission rather than storefronts for vendors of religious services and goods. You see, otherwise we're just consumers and, and the job of a pastor would just get relegated to try to come up with the best experience with the best programs or build the best youth ministry or the best coffee shop or the best spiritual farmer's market you can and just have people come in and I think I'll have that and I think I'll have that and I think I'll have that. That's a rat race for a pastor. 
That's a rat race for a church. It's always changing. People's preferences, people's desires, it's constantly changing. Oh, you don't want raspberry soup anymore. You want this. Oh, that isn't what's hip in youth ministry. You want this. And on and on. It's very exhausting. That's called burnout. It's called a lot of things. I'm not sure it's called proclaiming the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Now listen, I'm, I'm grateful for churches of every shape and size. I mean, there are some massive gospel preaching churches in Orlando. And there are also, I would humbly suggest, some massive spiritual farmer's markets. And a lot of little churches who are thinking that the way we're going to get big is by becoming a farmer's market, if you will. Instead of, what if, by grace, with all of our weakness, with all the Jonah-ness still in us, if you will, we just seek to be faithful to proclaim Him and His excellencies. Here's a question. Whose call is this? Let's answer that question with a question. Who has the call to proclaim His excellencies? Do you love Jesus? Have you been transformed, brought out of darkness and into His glorious light? Do you have a relationship with Jesus Christ? Are you a Christian? Then the answer to the question, who has this calling, is you and me. You've been a Christian a year. You've been a Christian 40. You've been a Christian three days. We share this call together. Privilege, not duty. Privilege to proclaim His excellencies. Secondly, we, we proclaim it. How do we, how do we do this? We proclaim it, but we also show. How do we reach people with the good news of Jesus Christ? We proclaim, but secondly, we show His excellencies and how we live. Look back at the text with me, verse 11. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. Remember we were singing this morning, conform us. That's what he's talking about. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds. Glorify God on the day of visitation. Now, 1 Peter 2.11 is something of a transition Actually, kind of the beginning, and we're not going to go through it, but it goes all into chapter 4. A transition to a practical emphasis on what it's going to look like or what it means when God's people who have been set apart relate to an unbelieving world. What's it going to look like to be out there in this unbelieving world? And what Peter is wanting to envision them with is this reality. Our conduct, listen, our conduct and not only our proclamation... How we live our lives, that itself will be a testimony to Jesus. It will show the world Jesus. And both are needed. We need a proclamation and we need a demonstration. We need it spoken and we need it lived and shown. And this is especially true in a world that is often hostile and suspicious of believers. We're doing a a thing called the conversation right now at Metro. We got about 26 people coming out to the conversation. It's, uh, it's just six evenings, light meal, to talk about Jesus. 26 people. How many of them do you think came 
because there's a big sign out front advertising the dates for the conversation. Let me just tell you how many came that way. Zero. And you know what? We don't have a sign out there. We're not bothering with that anymore. Well, we have our people in the church who are relating to people, coworkers, neighbors, family members, on sports teams. And they're just having conversation, which is why we call it the conversation. Every single one of those 26 that are coming, they don't all come every week, but for the most part, they're all coming back. They're there because someone in the church is touching their life. And they're there not because they're like, show me the way to Jesus necessarily. But they are there because they see Bob, they see Joe, they see Nancy, and they're like, goodness, you're different. What makes you tick? You want to come? Some of them, I love this, some... This is the third time we've had the conversation since I've lived in Orlando, which has been three years. And I've heard some stories of how some have been invited and invited and invited, and it's been no and no and no and no and no. But the more they've spent time with these individuals through whom the light of Christ is going out from because their, their lamp isn't hidden under a bowl, they're getting stirred. They're asking. And there they are. You see, the quality of our lives, as, as, as imperfect as we are, we still all stumble and sin. I know that. I feel that. Yet, as the grace of God is on the move in our lives, the quality of our lives, it begins to reflect. It begins to radiate out the marvelous light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we're living in a time, and you know this in South Florida, most people, before they're hearing, they need to see. In fact, if they hear but don't see, most people don't want anything to do with that. But if they can see something by the grace of God that's authentic, if they can see that we are a people who really do live like we belong to another country, that doesn't mean we're freaks and we're weird. It just just means they they see there's something that makes your heart beat that's different. That moves people. Now, part of the way they're going to see that as, is as we embrace this call. Beloved, I urge you, this is critical. Peter's saying, I urge you as sojourners and exiles. All he means by sojourners and exiles is this isn't your home. We're not home yet. You know what, believers? How many days of your life have you been home? Trick question. Zero. We're not home yet. We're sojourners. We're exiles. We haven't gotten to our homeland yet. This is all temporary dwelling places. Don't worry if there's a little mold on your shingles, all right? This isn't even home. Don't worry if your car's a little banged up. This isn't even home. We're not there yet. And as people see that, that you're living for something different, that affects them. And the way they're going to see that is as we, by grace, abstain from the passions of the flesh. Because have you noticed those passions still wage war against our souls? They're still battling us. And time doesn't permit to fully develop this this morning, but I know you're well taught on this. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And it's His grace that's also doing all the work of changing us. Yet that's a grace we can now, we, we cooperate with by His Spirit at work in us. And so 
This, this conversion, you know, we were saved, but we were like babies. You know, you've got these births taking place, arms, legs, everything's all there, but there's a growing up that has to take place, right? Well, that's what it is in our walk with the Lord. So we abstain. We abstain because, oh, we're living for something different. Those old passions that still want to wage war because Satan does not want a deployed church. No, no. But as we, by grace, are out there living lives by the grace of God, it, it, it gets people's notice. Peter doesn't break down here. He's not getting into all the passions that wage war against our soul, but certainly included among them would be the kinds of things Paul shared with the Galatians in Galatians 5, 19 and 20, when he said, Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality. Are these things existent in Miami? Idolatry, sorcery, if we were in New Orleans perhaps, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. Do you need to go one mile from this building to see all these things and more? Of course not. All this is still going on. That's what, that's what Peter's talking about. As we live lives that are, that are free of those things, as we're different by the grace of God, people will take notice. And if you don't think so, I just encourage you to get in my own story. Before that night when I was committing burglary, I didn't know this in real time then, but I'm watching this group of people in high school in the cafeteria at lunch. There's just something very different about them. Very, very different. And one of them... I just remember they, they never said a word, but God used it. I'm in line, and, you know, we had, uh, of course, only health food to choose from at the high school. Yeah, right. Um, we kind of have this a la carte, and you, you'd, you'd pick up things. You'd go down the register and pay for it, except, like, I almost never paid for it. I didn't pay for all of it. Uh, I, I saw it's more of an honor system <laughs> of my own making. And so I would do We have a couple friends. We'd stand there. You'd stand close, and... I'm not sharing these things. To, I'm not delighting these. I just want you to understand something. So, uh, you know, pay for this one, but not this one. Pass it behind the back. It moves down the line. My friend's got it over there, and it's on the other side. So instead of paying five bucks for my lunch, I pay about a buck fifty. And one of these individuals watches this. Didn't say anything. But, but, but it wasn't a look of scorn, but, but, but something, something was in this person. And it hit me. And then I just kind of watched where they went and sat. And I'm watching this group for, for, for a couple weeks, early in the start of school year. I'm just watching them. One day I just finally just go over there and sit down. Who are you people? That's exactly what I asked them. Who, who are you? And one of them invited me to early birds. What, what is early birds? Apparently, I didn't know this, every Friday morning in our high school auditorium at 7 a.m. was early birds. It was a Bible study, our high school. They explained what it was. I said, no thanks. I didn't go. Another one of them invited me to a lock-in. Didn't know what that was either. Didn't know it was a trap where you had to hear the gospel. <laughs> I thought it was just a sports night, so I went. And then we all got corralled into this room. And I remember mocking the preacher distracting those around me, all the while not knowing God, God was just drawing in, you know, like, like a fish fighting the lion who has no idea. 
two weeks later, I was converted. Their life, something about it that I didn't even understand yet, it hit me. Don't underestimate. You may be here this morning feeling like, but my life isn't shining, or I've got this battle. I, I know, I know, I know, I know. Don't underestimate how God will use your story to stir up those whom He's drawing to Himself to His irresistible grace. Now, I speak for me. I know the hour is getting late here. Too often, I forget, and maybe you can relate to this, too often we're not living like we're in a war. Additionally, I'm concerned as a pastor regarding what can seem to be this false dichotomy that exists in the church. It kind of goes like this. Either we're called to live a holy life or we're called to live a life of grace. As if those two ideas are opposed to each other. It's, it's, it's uh, either I'm living a holy life, or, or, or other words, I, either I've got to ascribe to legalism, or no, I have to ascribe to grace. I think we have, we have created this, and we notice this, it's the tendency of every human heart, and Christians aren't immune. We just do these pendulum swings, you know? I used to do all these things, and this is how I try to earn my acceptance of God. Now I don't do anything, I just live however I want, and we just swing and back and forth all the time. I don't think that's the life God intended. So there's this, not, not everywhere, this is a generalization, but there is in the church here, maybe in Bolivia as well, there, there is this false idea that, that to talk about holiness, to talk about urging us to abstain from the passions of the flesh is to talk about legalism. No, it is not. Peter's not encouraging anybody to try to earn their acceptance through their law-keeping. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about you've been changed, you've been transformed, and by grace you can actually live like that now. So I urge you, live like that. The world has got to see there's really something authentic to what we're talking about. Otherwise, we're just a bunch of hypocrites. See, this matters. It matters for our enjoyment of God. It matters for our own real grief. Uh, growth and godliness. It matters for, for our cooperation with the Spirit of work in us, but it matters for our witness to a lost, dying world. They've got to see there's something different. And that's a burden I've got for us back at Metro, that we'd have a biblically balanced understanding of the relationship between living holy lives and the grace of God. Not living li- holy lives or. It's not or. It's both. It's vitally important. Because honorable conduct in the midst of an unbelieving world is a primary way. God will save the world. That's why it's so important. Our life is part of our witness. And we're to present ourselves to God so that His grace meets us and fills us so that we can get out there living by grace, holy, set apart lives for His glory. Uh, Ray Ortland Jr. just spoke at our pastor's conference this week. He's got a wonderful one of the, I wouldn't call it a devotional or a, or a commentary, I'm not sure what it is, it's called a passion for God. And he just breaks down Romans, the book of Romans, into these prayers. And this is one of them, and I think it relates right here. He says, Oh God, we, your church, are losing our radical edge because we have forgotten this aspect of the gospel. 
Our discipleship is so flimsy, so unconvincing, because we do not understand this basic doctrine of death to sin, followed by new life in union with our crucified, buried, and risen Lord. We do not see our conversion to Christ as a death to our old life. We see it as a pleasant ornament on our old life, a little religion added in. We see conversion as a drop of oil to our pagan lives running smoothly, when in fact, conversion demands that the gears come to a stop and begin turning in the opposite direction. We condescend to include you in our unexamined lives rather than die to those old lives and start all over again from scratch. See, when you're committing burglary in the midst of your conversion, you kind of know you've got to start over. But we all had to start over, even if you never committed burglary. All of us. Oh, God. We urgently need to understand what you're teaching us here. We need to rediscover what it means to live in union with Christ. If you don't remember any other line, remember this one. We need to see that holiness is not legalism and grace is not cheap. Oh God, spread this message throughout your church today. Let it reach our ears and our hearts, creating with us a yearning for renewal in holiness consistent with the gospel. And oh God, let me live in sweet, Felt union with my Lord, drawing new life from Him moment by moment in His holy name. Amen. Friends, there's no division. I know in your Bibles, like mine, you probably got a period between verse 11 and 12. Well, there isn't one originally. It's one sentence. They go together. We're to abstain from sin and live by grace in such an exemplary way that our very lives, our very lives will be a testimony to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And don't think for a moment by letting people see your weakness that that's going to turn them off. No, it's just going to show them you're real. It's just going to show them you're real. It never ceases to amaze me how the things that God seems to use the most in a sermon, I mean, I believe in being faithful to the text and all that, but it's just by, oh goodness, can I tell you what's going on in my life in relationship to this passage? Somebody out there, it's going on in my life too. Authentic doesn't mean perfect. It just means, oh God, by your grace, I want to live a way that people see Jesus. That was Peter's, if you will, missional strategy. That was his plan. I, I, I love, I love uh, I'm getting old now. I'm 40, so I'm, I'm, I'm like words and ideas in the church are starting to recycle. It wasn't called missional 15 years ago. It was seeker. And, you know, they always change, always new popular words. Well, I, I'm all, I think, mission, missional. I'm sure that's a real word, but it's been coined as one now. That's what we want to be. We want to be that. We want to be on a mission. But we need to see that as connected to how we're living. On a mission isn't just when I go to Bolivia in two weeks or when Al and Corey go to the DR later this week or when you go somewhere. Many, many of you have participated on mission trips. We're all going on a mission trip in about 20 minutes. Yeah. Amen? Every single one of us. In fact, it could be going on in your own home. It probably is. Thomas Schreiner in his commentary just said Christians must live exemplary lives with the kind of good deeds that will make unbelievers take notice. You see, you see what Peter's doing here? This, 
Verse 12, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. So when they speak against you as evildoers, that's what happens. And here's how Shrine develops that. Peter's hope was that the unbelievers would be compelled to admit that the lifestyle of believers is morally beautiful. And this admission will bring them to saving faith so that God will be glorified on the day of judgment. Have you seen that in your own life? Some of you may have those stories where someone initially mocked you, ridiculed you, put you down, just laughed you off because of the life you were living. But you stayed faithful. You prayed for strength. You just kept going. And somewhere along the way, maybe they stopped the mockery. They didn't embrace, but they stopped. And, And some of you may have a testimony where you've seen that go all the way through, where that person who once mocked and ridiculed you, called you an evildoer even, is now someone who's going to be there on that day of visitation. A Christian. Man. That's encouraging. Will every single person you encounter be like this? Is Peter saying every single time somebody considers you an evildoer that you should just, oh, cool, they're going to be a Christian. No. No, he's not saying that. But many will. Many will. I hope that envisions you. I hope that encourages you. In fact, Peter, he's going to say it again. I'm going to move to a close here. As he gets a little deeper and is laying this out practically later in chapter 3, verse 15, he's just going to say, in your hearts, honor Christ as the Lord. Of, honor Christ the Lord, excuse me, is holy. Always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks for a reason for the hope that is in you. In other words, the implication is they're going to see that we're living differently and it's going to cause them to ask questions. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you're slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. I don't think what Peter is suggesting is that we should be like, shame them, God, shame them, God. No, rather... Just like I was put to shame, I went back to that table in my cafeteria and I sat down and I told them what happened. And I asked them, what time is early birds? The church's mission is to proclaim and show the excellencies of Jesus. Just a couple questions. What what might need to take place in my heart so that telling others about Jesus feels like a privilege instead of a duty? What, what What would cause faith to rise and fear to fall in sharing Jesus. Are there people I'm in regular contact with that I can pray for with more intentionality? God, I want them to see you in me. Who would those people be? How could I begin to pray for them and for opportunities with them? Gentle, respectful opportunities with them. Let's kind of go to the first point. The second point about living, showing this life. You know, I first read that Ortland quote. I wrote in my book, that book, Have I Lost My Radical Edge? 
Lord, are there any areas in my life where I've lost this radical edge? And what would you have me do to recapture it? What would you have me do to yearn afresh for renewal in holiness? So that, God, I enjoy you so much more that it will flow out of me and some people will start asking questions. I ask too many questions, so forget all those and just take this one. What is the Holy Spirit saying to you right now? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, precious Lord Jesus, thank you for saving me. Thank you for calling me out of darkness and into your marvelous light. And in doing so, forgiving my sins, granting to me a heavenly home, making me a part of your people, a holy nation, and also giving me this privilege to tell the world how excellent you are, fairest Lord Jesus. Lord, I would be particularly burdened. could be a young person, but it doesn't need to be. Maybe they began listening to this sermon, not listening, but mocking, distracting, texting, whatever. And yet, Lord, you've already set your affections on them and you're drawing them to yourself. Would, like you did for me, would you open the eyes of their hearts to see it? Why would they reject the one who's given up everything to say, I love you. And that's what they're looking for anyway. God as well, for all of us who are in you, in union with you, remind us today in a specific way, Spirit of God, remind us, holiness is not legalism. And may we never treat it as such. And may we never act like holiness doesn't matter because that would have made grace cheap. And your death wasn't cheap. Your crucifixion wasn't cheap. Your condescension as we approach Christmas to take on human flesh, it wasn't cheap. It cost everything. So grant that Palm Vista would love you, one another, and neighbor in such a way that your marvelous light shines more brightly from this place. And I look forward to a future visit where seated here will be more people who have been touched by the lives of those already gathered. Would you do it for your great glory, I ask in your name. Amen. Amen. Would you please stand to your feet quietly? I want to bless you with what's called a benediction. Just please stand to your feet quietly. I want to bless you with the benediction. If God has spoken to your life in this message, after I pronounce the benediction and dismiss you, I'd like you to come right down here, and I'd like you to speak with Aaron.
Aaron's going to be right here. Uh, If you're a guest after this benediction, I'd like to say hi to you right through these doors. But here's the blessing. Dear Christian, may God bless your lives in Jesus Christ that the nations right here in South Florida might fear him. May the peace of God in Christ Jesus, which passes all understanding, guard now your hearts and your minds. Amen? Amen. Thank you for coming this morning. If you want to talk to Aaron, please come down here. Guests, I'd love to say hi to you right through these doors.